Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. God of all grace, we begin to thanks because our death, our Savior Jesus Christ, destroyed the power of death, and by his resurrection, he opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers. Make us certain that because he lives, we shall live also, and that neither death nor life, nor the things present nor things to come, will be able to separate us from your love in Christ Jesus our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, uh, welcome to another Dr. Phil and Dr. Phil class. Um, We were encouraged by the reception of our first class, uh, Good God, Bad Earth. Bad World. Bad World. Bad World. Uh, in which we dealt with, I think, some very difficult, challenging questions that have to do with the Christian faith in terms of uh, if there is a living God, um, how does he relate to a sinful and broken world? Almost immediately after that class, the two of us started talking about a sequel to that class. And uh, it, I think it came out of the desire to talk about what are reasons to believe in the good news of the gospel. And there was a very short uh, distance from there to talking about our final destination. Of course, that's been a theme here, destination because it matters. And of course, uh, our ultimate destination, wherever your final destination may be, you've heard that on airplanes, wherever your final destination may be. Well, we live in a Christian tradition where we say there's one of two places where the final destination is, but, um, there's a great deal of differences about that. This is a topic that I have avoided studiously <laughs> in all 40 years of my ministry, and for good reason. Because people have very, um, they are locked in to an idea of what they think heaven and hell is like, and to poke that is dangerous, because people don't want to give up their idea of what heaven and hell is. This class, we hope, will be able to take a look at that face on and understand that there are many, many different views of the afterlife, heaven and hell, um, not only from a theological standpoint, but also from a philosophical standpoint. And I think that's one of the uh, benefits that our collaboration brings to classes, that we not only talk about the theological, but also we talk about the philosophical, uh, those arguments that support or argue against various views of the afterlife. Um, We have uh, a sheet front and back that gives you an introduction to who we are. We're not going to go into that, but if if you're not familiar with us, uh, there's a brief um, summary of, of both of our backgrounds and what we bring to this class as well as the six classes that we'll be looking at. Uh, Some of them will be of very interest to you um, because next week it's going to be heavy on the philosophical side. I really encourage you to come back, even though it may look, oh, 
I can assure you. <laughs> I can assure you that those of you who've heard and listened to, to Dr. Swenson before know that anything that he presents is not going to be boring and will certainly be uh, well worth your time. Um, so um, we, um, so that's where we hope to go with the class. Um, and the, the thing that we want to do is identify six what we call class proctors. Uh, we found it very helpful in our first class that we identified in the first class people who were willing um, to kind of keep a running tab of how the class went and then meet with us uh, the Monday before the last class to help us plan the final class so we can um, pick up things that, that need more attention, further explanation, or answering questions that were raised that we um, didn't deal with adequately. So um, there's another class after this. So if we fill the proctors in this class, fine. But uh, at this point, who would like to be uh, the sixth to kind of keep a running tab on how we do and then meet with us on Monday? Um, I think we have the date there. Um, No, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, it is. Um, huh, I thought I had that down somewhere. But it'll probably be the tenth because the second. It is a tenth. It is a tenth. Right. Thank you. It is the tenth. Uh, so, can we have uh, volunteers, Kevin? <laughs> who's who's Kevin? Okay. More from this class? We can recruit more later. <laughs> Elizabeth, thank you, Elizabeth, because she, she was uh, certainly a, a, a wonderful contributor last time. Okay, that gives us three. If others of you are moved, uh, let, let us know. Um, and with that, I, I introduce um, Dr. Phil Swenson. Thanks. Thanks. So um, I wanted to say something initially. I think, uh, speaking for myself, and I think for Phil, I'm coming uh, into a lot of these questions from a place of humility where I don't think I have a firm, clear view or clear answer, and I'm just excited to explore these issues uh, with you. So uh, I'm looking forward to this. So. Um, I wanted to start by covering three different views about hell or about you know the final destination of, of human beings. Um, so first, just kind of just to kind of get them on the table, um, which we could call the perpetual hell view. This is often called the traditional view because it's been held by the majority of Christians uh, throughout history. Um, is that some human beings? Uh, will spend forever in hell, right? So that there is an eternal destination that's a bad place where so, at least some human beings will go. Um, usually it's, put, it's thought of as an overall bad place to be. There is a Catholic tradition where uh, existence is so good, existence itself is so good that even though you're miserable in hell, overall you're 
you're better off than nothing because existing is so good. So it's not part of the view that hell is overall negative for you because it could be that just existing is so great that outweighs the bads of hell. But mo for, for the most part, it's thought of as overall a bad place to be and definitely a much worse place to be than heaven uh, on any view, right? So you're there with all your friends. Right, yeah, you're there with all your friends, but uh, they're not such great people. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't help. Uh, of course, there's lots of different views about what that is like, right? Is it, um, you know, literal fire and brimstone? Is it just psychological misery because you're separated from God and from good things? Um, maybe it's misery because of your friends, right? Um, but it's a bad place to be, at least comparatively, with heaven, right? Um, second view is called annihilationism. Uh, this view... Uh, holds that uh, those not granted eternal or perpetual life um, will eventually be destroyed or cease to exist, right? So maybe there's a period of punishment and that it ends with the destruction of those who don't receive eternal life. So they're literally blotted out of the world, right? Um, and the third view um, is called universalism. This view holds that uh, everyone, or at least all humans, uh, eventually go uh, to heaven, right? So maybe there's a, a time of punishment, but eventually uh, everyone will go to heaven. Uh, so I put all humans in parentheses because universalists disagree on whether they would include like demons or will even the demons eventually be redeemed, or, or um, are we just restricting it to to humans, right? And yeah, animals would be another. Cats, another. Dogs. Yeah, right. all dogs at least, maybe not the cats. Right? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> now that one I have affirmed. <laughs> That's dog <laughs> You haven't met my. Uh, <laughs> I'm open to correction. <laughs> Okay, so a couple things to note about uh, universalism. Um, first, it's not to be confused with the claim that people can be saved without faith in Christ. Right, so sometimes this gets mixed up with um, what's sometimes called inclusivism, where people can be saved by following another religion or by you know, being a good person or something like that, and they don't actually have to have uh, faith in Christ. A universalist couldn't believe that only those with faith in Christ will be saved, but that everyone eventually will have faith, right? Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, right? Eventually. Um, so you can be what's called an exclusivist universalist. You only can be saved through faith in Christ, but eventually everyone will have faith in Christ. Um, Many universalists believe in hell, but it's a temporary place of punishment, right? So it's not. So maybe an extreme universalist say there's no, universalists would say there's no hell at all, but a lot of universalists would believe in hell, but say it, it, hell has an end, right? And similarly with annihilationists, right? There is a hell, but it has an end when um, uh, when uh, people would just be annihilated, right? Um, so you might think, well, wait. We know not everyone has faith, right? Um, at least in this life. So universalists commonly believe in um, second chances for salvation after uh, one dies, right? So um, they would appeal to um, uh, passages like First uh, Peter 4, where um, it says the gospel is preached even to the dead. And they'll try to get out of that, that um, there's chances to hear the gospel and repent uh, 
after um, after you die. Um, okay, so Bill's going to cover a lot of the biblical evidence for each of these views, um, but I'll just raise in sort of an initial thought in favor and initial thought opposed to universalism and see what you think about that. So, an initial thought in favor of universalism, um, assuming God loves everyone, God is good and God loves everyone, he wouldn't want anyone to risk missing out on something so wonderful as eternal salvation. God wants all to be saved. God is good at getting what God wants. So we sort of sh- should sort of expect that everyone will eventually be saved. Look, he loves everyone. He wants everyone to have this really good thing. Wouldn't we expect that uh, eventually he'll be able to get everyone to, to come around and have faith in, uh, in his son? Uh, any, anyone have any thoughts on that initial motivation? Yeah. I call that permissive God belief. God okay. is permissive. He's a nice, happy uncle, and he'll eventually let you do whatever you want. So think that way. And if stir up the mix here, my strength is red teaming, if red teaming means anything to God, I don't know if that I, means. If we're the blue team, we're the good guys, there is a red team. Not referring to <coughs> Pastor Phil's costume, <laughs> but what would they do? If you were them... You would want to confuse the ideas of heaven and hell and start all around mm-hmm. and slip in things that will get you damned because that's what they're mm-hmm. claiming to do. So there's the philosophy, there's scripture, there's also people that are trying to, you know, fake news. Mm-hmm. Fake good. news. So okay, this so, is a yeah. good, strong cast, but that one is God is permissive. Mm-hmm. He has perfect justice as well as perfect love. No evil act goes unpunished. Period. Either Jesus takes the punishment or the perp gets it. But it doesn't go unpunished and that's an, un, you know, God is permissive. It's not, it's not permissive. Good. So there's a worry here of like, if we teach universalism, people will think, oh, I don't have anything to worry about and to the danger of their, of their soul. Yeah. Okay. Technical time. I just want to say something. This is a very popular series, just like the last one was. I got a lot of complaints from people that cannot hear you. Please speak loudly. Speak as loud as I'm speaking now. The mics are right there. If you speak in your normal tone, we can hear you, but the people on the podcast only hear bits and parts of word. It sounds like you're speaking in tongues or whatever. So please speak loudly and clearly. Let, let me say one more, one more, or say one more thought. On um, so the universalists will say to the second part of your point: Yes, every sin uh, will be punished, but it will be punished uh, uh, by the suffering of Christ in the atonement, right? Because Christ is redeeming everyone, so His suffering covers everyone on on that model. Um, but I think that worry is. Good, of like, well, won't people think they don't have anything to worry about if, uh, if we teach universal? Did you have a, a thought? Thank you. Yeah, good. Any other thoughts on this motivation for universalism? Um, it's just going off the simple, you know, he wants all men to be saved, God's really good at getting what he wants, won't it, won't it happen, right? Um, okay, an initial thought opposed to universalism. Um, if God guarantees that everyone ends up in heaven, 
Does this mean that we're not responsible for our eternal destiny? Uh, if we aren't responsible for being in heaven, would that make it less valuable? Right? So, suppose that you know, no matter what, God's going to make sure everyone uh, is saved. You might worry, well, that means it's not really up to me. I don't really have any say in that. And so then my relationship with God is sort of forced. And I'm not really... Um, uh, I'm not really free or responsible in entering this relationship with God. Yeah. If everyone is saved, well, if, well, if yeah. everyone is saved, why did uh, Jesus spend a day on the cross? Right. To save, well, to save everyone would be the would be the. But answer. if it's God's will uh-huh. already, then why was that necessary? If what we do doesn't matter, mm-hmm. then why does He need to die for our sins? And if I don't need to believe in Christ for his sacrifice to be for me and my sins, then again, why does he need to do this? You do need to believe in Christ on at least some versions of universalism. And Christ, you know, God wanted to save everyone. Go ahead. Granted. It seems to me that this universalism would totally negate any... um, motivation mm. for missionary mm-hmm. work or uh, that all may know the love of Good. Jesus. You know, right. why bother? Yeah. If it's all going to get come out in the water. Yeah, we see an urgency in the New Testament to preach the word. Can we make sense, can that be made sense of on the universalist view, right? Um, so what they'll say is, well look, there's still hell and it's still terrible. It just doesn't last forever. So you still don't want people to go there. Um, so you still should preach the word. But I agree it's less motivation because you know eventually it'll be okay anyway. So I, I think that's another good <coughs> motivational worry about universalism. Yeah. Yeah. So it's ignoring Revelation where it says the smoke of their torment goes up forever. I can't give you the verse. I'm right. going to take the time right. to look it up. But right. it says that right. the smoke of their torment goes up forever. In fact, they are tormented right. in the presence of the Lamb of God. Good. So there's. So, yeah, but yeah. It's the, the smoke of their torment goes up forever. So you want to snip off a piece of the Bible, fine. Make up your own cafeteria religion. Right. <laughs> Christianity, Revelation, it's an odd, yucky book, but. It's God's word. Good. So there's several passages that have eternal talking about punishment, right? I think it's Thessalonians, you know, eternal punishment, eternal destruction. Um, so universalists, that those are the hardest passages for the universalist. Um, what they usually say is that the word, the Greek word um, that gets translated for ter- eternal, can be interpreted as for an age. So there's places where the same Greek word uh, is interpreted as ages past or something like that. So, and I'm, you know, this is beyond my expertise, but that's the move that uh, universalists usually try to make with those. Um, that's oh, yeah. not going to hold up when we get to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, um, yeah. But, but we'll talk about that. Good, yeah, and we'll talk about that. Or Dr. Phil, I think, we'll, we'll, we'll cover that, yeah. Okay, good. Um, any other... Initial thoughts on uh, on universalism or any of the three views? Yeah, um, it kind of strikes me that with universalism, that somebody has a presupposition that a good God could not allow 
Like a good, loving God couldn't allow this. So I need it. I need to develop some system where that will avoid, yeah. that, will avoid that. Yeah, yeah. That's not. I mean, that's not really being faithful to God's self-expression. If God mm-hmm. defines who He is, mm-hmm. then that's really what the focus should be. God, you tell me who you are, and then I pray, God, let me accept you for who you have revealed yourself to be, mm-hmm. as opposed to me using. Uh, worldly wisdom to try and develop the God that I'm comfortable with. So you think we shouldn't come in with philosophical commitments pre-going into the scriptures, but just go into totally... Well, can we? I mean, we, can, we can't do that, uh-huh. can we? Uh, right? It's hard. It's, it's hard. hard, yeah, because yeah, yeah. we, we have that in, in us already, and especially mm-hmm. with heaven and hell. We have, even yeah. people who are not religious, have a, a preconceived idea of heaven and hell. So. Yeah. I don't think we can do it, but I just I think that when you take a step back, I, I think seems to me like most of the people that are pushing universalism, they're doing it from a sense of trying to resolve how could a loving God mm-hmm. have hell in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it, we, you know, there are some things we need to accept mm-hmm. because He's revealed it to be so. And I trust at some point we will understand. Maybe we've got three hands up. Um, Larry? If it's God's will that we all get to heaven, why wouldn't he will us just to be good to begin with? Then we wouldn't have needed to sacrifice on the cross. We wouldn't have to spend any time in purgatory. After all, he's a good God. So he wants us to enjoy it from the very beginning. Good. And that gets back to the problem of evil, right? Um, why, you know, why are we in this at all? Why, are we, why didn't we just start out in heaven? Um, so you might think, look, whatever story we come up with there... Whatever, whatever's the true story of that will also explain why not everyone goes to heaven. There must be some reason for God to allow evils, and maybe that will even lead to allowing hell. Yeah, that's a, a nice, a nice point. Yes. You know, I, I then just want to play devil's advocate yeah. here, possibly literally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but when we think about it, in your opening. Uh, Bill Swenson, you, you mentioned um, you know God, God's good at getting what he wants, mm-hmm. and, and there are some Christian branches that say we will ground our, uh, our perspective on salvation in God the Father's work of creation more than in the Son's work of redemption. Not negating the Son's work of redemption, but that in Christ all things will be reconciled, all men will be, with what you said, the caveat of why, why you know, he will let me suffer right. when I sin, and then I know good and evil, as they did when they took the fruit. Right. Um, but but I, I think there is a, an argument there that we need to wrestle with because we have scripture that can line up on both sides of the page one against the other. So I, I just, you know, I want to say it's not just a permissive God, right. but a God who, in his creative action, desires all men to be saved and has worked this so that we have an opportunity. With the angel barring the, the gate to the Garden of Eden and that, and that fruit that would let us live forever without him, he, he has provided a way. I mean, there's, I, I think there's a an important way to think about it, not just to write it off as, oh, you just think permissive. John and your pastor. So are we talking about annihilationism also? Do you want initial thoughts? Sure, sure. To me, that is, from the red team, 
a means of escape from hell. If you eventually are destroyed, you don't suffer anymore. And there's and people will say in this world, I'm bad, I'm going to hell, but I'll be destroyed there, so it only hurt for a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's again, it's a very dangerous piece of propaganda. In in fact, there will, I believe not only will not be destroyed, you will not be able to go insane from the suffering because that would be means of escape. I also think you won't see anybody else there because just seeing them will help you mitigate the torment. You'll be all by yourself and you might be the only one. Mm -hmm. And he won't tell you. The Satan who accuses people will not know if he even got Herod the Great. He'll be there by himself. He won't be able to look over there and say, well, at least I got Herod. He won't know that. Thank you, John. And part of your argument is very close to what C.S. Lewis does in the screw tape letters. Right. In terms of working, you know, get past it, please. Well, actually, that's a good segue to my comment uh, from Claire. Mm -hmm. uh, Lewis uh, has a has a quote from somewhere. Could be from Screw Tape later, Letters, and he says, "What we do know is that no one is saved except through Jesus Christ. What we do not know is that only those who know Him will be saved by Him." Say that again, please. C.S. Lewis says, what we do know is that no one will be saved except through faith in Jesus Christ. What we do not know is that only those who know him will be saved by him. Which is to say, at some point, our head reaches the ceiling and we can't see above it. We, we, you know. See, and that's... That's the real challenge of, in terms of how we uh, take our personal experiences and translate them um, in terms of family members who do not believe in Christ, um, who we have attempted by our example, by our words, to convert, and they resist that, and then we have to live with the fact you know, if we, we go with the traditional view that they are in hell, eternally tormented in fire and brimstone. Um, and my question is, does that motivate us to really work toward evangelization? You know, does that reality, is that reality enough uh, of a pressing mode on us that we're going to do whatever we can to save people. And we know that if we start pushing people, they back away. They won't listen to us. Uh, yes, Steve? Um, I just wanted to say, isn't that what Luther said? That, you know, you can preach the gospel, but when you have someone who is resistant, preach hell and uh, broomstone and, and fire to, to that person. And see, and that works when part of people's worldview is a hell with brimfire. But many people no longer believe that. Um, John Bailey, John Bailey, Diary of Private Prayer, he, in, and that book was uh, published in 1949. In 1936, he published this book, which is called And the Life Everlasting, 1936. And he reflects on what the Enlightenment um, did in terms of our belief in a cosmic uh, worldview, when Copernicus came, you know, uh, and when the age of science came, suddenly many of the things that we held in the Bible were proved by science not to be exactly the worldview that it actually is. 
And, and he decries the fact that um, he, uh, in his experience, no longer heard hellfire and brimstone sermons. When's the last time you heard a preacher get and start describing the eternal fires of hell? Have, when's the last time you've heard that? When I was a kid. When you were a kid? My dad was great at it. <laughs> uh, did it grow his congregations? Did people come because they, he offered a way out of hell? Yeah, see, and, and the whole question is, um, does, does that work? Um, I've got a Gallup survey that shows about how many people believe in hell and in hell. It's amazing how many people do. But in terms of whether or not that actually motivates them, um, to follow Christ as disciples, um, that that's that is something that doesn't happen. Uh, Linda, I think all of it. You know, it's one thing if there's an adult uh, who just is dead set against hearing the gospel and accepting it. But I think we all have struggled with. Um, oh, what about the baby that's mm-hmm. that dies before he's baptized, or? What about the tribes in deepest Africa who've never heard? I, I guess what I go back to is here. What we know is God wants us to tell everybody, and that this is the only way we know that He's given us for salvation through Jesus. Now, that does not say that He doesn't have a plan B, um, and I think we have to. Well, for for the baby and the tribes. But he doesn't, we don't need to know that. We've been given the task of telling everyone. And that's all we need to hook our wagon to. Um, Pastor? Well, I... And then Judy. I like like the plan B. I would add to that particular plan that, um, you know, the fellow who stands on the soapbox in front of the courthouse on Dog Street... Yeah. Preaches fire and brimstone. You bet. And boy, there's most people avoiding him, walking around. I don't want to go that far on the road, and blah, blah, blah. However, I do believe uh, from my own experience, although I cannot name a person, that there are some people who uh, will only give God enough attention to become scared and shocked into heaven or into faith, or into the reality that what I'm doing now and what I've been doing all my life needs to change. And that fire and brimstone can serve such a purpose. This is such an incredible uh, topic because Luther, following up on that, Luther says that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to Him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the fear of hell? No. By what? By the gospel. See, and, and that's 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 the the real problem. Um, is it preaching hell that gets people to believe, or is it preaching the gospel? And as Lutherans, we say that law and gospel is that inseparable link. That in order for the gospel to be properly heard. That the gospel, that the that the law has to be proclaimed. Um, here at King of Glory, and I celebrate 
we do not have a worship service that does not begin with a confession of what? Of how good God is? No. We begin with a confession of how sinful we are and what our just desserts are. And I, at least, I know at least that eternal, uh, what's the phrase? Um, and I justly deserve his eternal and temporal eternal punishment. Yeah, yeah. We, we confess that. Um, and the, um, the other thing that I wanted to take a look at is um, what we say we believe. Um, in the Apostles' Creed, we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. See? The, the, the creeds don't talk about what we believe about hell or eternal destruction. In the Nicene Creed, I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. These creeds are extraordinarily positive uh, in terms of what we believe and what we base our faith on. Uh, and so what I'd like to do now is take a look at the scriptural basis for all of these positions. And let me assure you that there is scripture for all of these positions. Uh, in Luther's, in the explanation to the third article in Luther's small catechism, I believe that he will raise me in all the dead and give to me and all believers in Christ eternal life. That's what Luther ends his explanation to the third article on. Um, and, and of course, Luther in places is very clear about where, where what people's eternal de destination is. Um, and we know as he got older, he got more and more uh, focused on the eternal destination of Jews and of Muslims. Um, and, and it's hard to balance in today's age Luther's position on that with his earlier, more evangelical approach. Judy Bronson, you've had your 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 hand up like, yeah, <laughs> please. Going all the way back to the very first statement, it's, uh, it says everyone, all humans eventually go to heaven. Well, maybe they think of that as when Jesus descended into hell, he only stayed there for three days. Right. And then he came back up. And, and the question is, what did he do there? So I mean that that you know they would under under those circumstances they say well Jesus only spent three days in in hell. That's the max. Maybe I'll only spent maybe a week or something and then I'll eventually be raised from hell. Mark. Um, regarding your comment about you know how people are saved, I always found it interesting that in Romans chapters one and two, where he's talking about all these awful things that he's given us up to, and about how degenerate and how evil we are naturally, um, he says that, or do you think lightly of the riches of the kindness and the tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God has led you to repentance. And, I, and since you brought up Romans, I can't not mention Romans 9, 10, and 11. That is where Paul struggles. Uh, for anybody who struggles about a loved one, uh, a spouse, parent, child, nephew, niece, who's not, who has not accepted the gospel, I encourage you to read Romans 9, 10, and 11. There Paul lays out his heart, his bleeding heart for his people, the Jews. And he 
he struggles with that. Um, and I believe that Paul, in his writing at times, has psychotic episodes where he no longer where he no longer makes a lot of sense. And in those three chapters, you're going to find Paul not making a lot of sense. But where he winds up with is at the at the foot of the mystery of God. And 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 I think that's the only thing that gave him peace when it came to his people, the Jews. Did that make him any less of an evangelist or a missionary? <laughs> no. I mean, Paul poured out his life in order to go from place to place uh, to create worshiping communities, to write letters to them, to encourage people um, and, and, and elders. And um, so simply because he came to that conclusion where um, people whether or not the, the Jews in particular, where he commits them to the mystery of God's grace. Uh, Plan B. Not, what? Plan B. This is, this is Linda's. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> see, I hate to say much Plan B. Plan B, because as soon as we say Plan B, uh, part of us who've been raised in that tradition, we say, oh, here's heresy. You know, here's the slippery slope. Suddenly, doesn't make any difference. You know, everybody's going to, and that's not what we're saying at all. Yes, John, one more. All right, to me, the danger of the plan B saying it is at the funeral to the relatives who are either on the borderline or not believers, and if you say the list little whiff about plan B, they will jump on that and say, I can check out here. A, be a better thing would be to say, as far as we know, there's nothing, your best bet relative is get to be really good friends with Jesus on a personal basis and you work directly with him about whatever that is, but don't tell him plan B, say go get with Jesus as much as you can and then that's the best I can give you. And, and if you hang with this class, we're going to provide you with some resources. Um, Pascal's Wager. How many of you heard of Pascal's Wager? Okay, a couple of you. Uh, we're going to introduce you to that because it's an extraordinary argument and um, a contemporary Christian philosopher who, who Dr. Phil knows has written this incredible book that um, um, gives, gives the arguments of why it's so important to be a friend of Jesus. Now, let me be really clear about my funeral sermons. <laughs> I never, ever, even hinted at a plan B. I want you to know that. Because I think... Exactly as you said, uh, people don't, but what I always did, I always took that as an example, as an opportunity to preach the gospel, you know, that we are sinners, that the person lying that wasn't a sinner, you know, there was not a perfect person, and, uh, and Pastor Harmon, those of you who've heard his sermons, he has a wonderful way of humanizing people, that, that when... Uh, when we go to a funeral that Pastor Harmon presides at, we know that Pastor Harmon is not putting a rosy uh, coating on this person. He'll be very realistic in terms of that person, um, sometimes very specifically, but always, <laughs> generally, yeah, but all, always generally and with good humor. Because at that point, it's over. That, that the love of Christ and his death and resurrection has made a difference in this person's life and gives us reason to gives us reason to celebrate a person's life in faith. Mike. Yeah. 
So, um, can I add one one thing on this? Please help me. So, I, I agree there are there are uh, evangelistic dangers to teaching annihilationism or the um, or universalism. But I do think there's also evangelistic dangers to uh, the traditional view. So I, you know, when I've talked to friends, you know, they'll say, "Look, the traditional view of hell sounds so horrible. A good God would never do something like that." And it, and that can be a block to belief uh, for some people. So I think all three of them do have, do create, you know, troubles for evangelism sometimes. Yeah. Sally, oh. Sally for us. Um, <clears throat> we all have people that we care about that we worry about their final, about their end. Um, but maybe that's not the place to start. Maybe um, describe how my life is now, today, with Jesus in my life, and eventually get to heaven. But since so many people don't believe in heaven or hell, let's start with that. I've known people that don't believe in hell. They believe in heaven, but they don't believe in hell. Kevin, to your point mm -hmm. on evangelization and the quality of arguments, mm -hmm. it's it's fine if you're selecting arguments that are from sound doctrine. Mm -hmm. But if you're if you're inventing doctrine to, to appease to it, yeah. then you're an exercise of utilitarianism, yeah. and you've wandered out of the field of theology. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, Page two of the handout, uh, biblical support for the three views on hell. Um, perpetual hell view. Some humans will spend forever in hell. This is the traditional view based on scriptures that countered the medieval doctrine, but still current, uh, of purgatory, a state or condition after death for souls to be purified for entrance into heaven. Indulgences still current. And the reason that um, I say still current is, um, as some of you know, every year I go to um, West Texas to harvest pecans. And um, it's, it's a community where there's a lot of different churches, but the Roman Catholic Church is particularly strong in this particular area. And um, my friend uh, went to, to Ballinger, which is a small Texas town, and there, the priest, as part of a funeral sermon, offered indulgences that people could buy for the, the departed. So it's, yes, yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. I said, Chester, really? Is it is really? He said, absolutely. And, and, then, um, and then he quoted another Catholic church where they were selling indulgences. So, so the whole idea of purgatory, you know, where a person would go in order to access the extra grace of saints. And that's the whole idea, that, that the saints have more grace than they needed, and you can <laughs> and apply them to your, to your niece, who is not leading a particularly exemplary life. You can, you can do that, and if she dies, then we can, yeah. So that's, that's still. The other thing is, is that I read an extraordinary um, um, academic position paper on the early church fathers and their view of hell. And this person's research said that up until the 6th century there are no church fathers that positive or taught of eternity in hell. 
that their position was more or less um, temporary punishment, but that eventually, um, either in terms of annihilation or that people would eventually be gathered. That was the early church position. And Claire, I would like for you to research that this week. <laughs> no, 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 because you, you are conversant with the early church fathers, right? are you not? Yes. yes. Um, but, but that would really be helpful if you would come back and see, and I'm going to forward the article that I looked at, okay. so you can take a look at that and then come back on that, because that went, whoa, 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 early church? So, and so what I'm saying is that this whole process with Dr. Phil has been a, a learning experience for me. You know, we're still taking a look at this. Um, so, do you want to say something? No. <laughs> In the context of that comment, yes. Origin is excommunicated for universalism in the fourth century. Interesting. Interesting. He's Good the for first you. one, first first church father to be excommunicated for universalism. Interesting, and it would be very interesting to look at his writings and the journey that he took in order to get that point. That would be very interesting. Okay. Um, from Luther's small catechism with explanation. Unbelievers will also rise bodily, but to eternal death, namely to shame and torment in hell forever. Scriptures in support. Let's look at Isaiah 66, 24. Isaiah uh, Approximately in the middle of your Bible, after the Psalms, Psalm of Ecclesiastes, Psalm, Psalm Isaiah 66, verse 24. And they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm <laughs> will not die. <laughs> nor will their fire be quenched, and they will be loathen to all mankind. Does that satisfy you? I mean, that's pretty strong, huh? Yes. Uh, let's take a look at Matthew 10, 28. These scriptures are, are, are not, I mean, this is not stuff to take lightly. I mean, it, it, this is tough. Somebody read it, please. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So what does the word destroy mean? Can you interpret that as annihilation? Mm -hmm. Ouch. See? And John says no. No. <laughs> yeah, if you escape, if, you, if you're annihilated, you escape. Yeah, I, I would submit that's what Satan tried to do in the first place when he was in this universe is, oh boy, I don't want that. I'm going to make Jesus back down off the cross and then I'll cease to exist because he'll just not create the universe. The red team My escape is annihilation. Absolutely. Okay. Um, Matthew 25, 41. Here we go. This is the, this is the big one. This is. Really? I, I have the Greek in front of me right now, so okay, if somebody else could do it. <laughs> Nigel, do you have it? Sure. Okay. Read that whole paragraph. Um, Matthew 25, 41. 
Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Yeah, the thing to oh, so keep going all the way through 46. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer to them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. On the basis of what? They go. On the basis of? What you've done to others. What you've done to others. And, and we as Lutherans are very, very careful to preface this, that this is a result this life is a result of faith in Christ. We read that into it. Um, and, and this is, um, other people read this and they take uh, comfort in terms of living a good life. I've done, you know, I've treated my fellow man and they look at this, but they don't have the Lutheran perspective on it that we say, um, this is because people have faith in Christ. So, um, let's look at, yes, Nigel, please. So in this one, it's it's the in the full the full uh, text. It's it's the ones who say, "Didn't we do all these wonderful things?" It's the ones who actually think that they've been doing good works. Mm-hmm. Who he says, "No, you didn't." Yeah. And then the ones that did actually do good works are like, "We don't remember that. When did we ever right. feed you?" And he says, right. "Oh yeah, you did." Yeah. So it's it's kind of like, yes, good works, but more. It's our faith. But see, and that illustrates Romans 6, you know, that we were buried with Christ by baptism to death. And that um, in the new life in Christ, we don't calculate our good deeds because it's it's part of it's just part of who we are. Exactly. We're not noticing uh, that's that that's exactly what we do. So no. uh, we need to move on to anni- an- 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 real quick. No, it is annihilation, that's okay. what I'm talking okay, about. Good. But it's 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 eternity. Because we have the issue, aeon. That's the key word. Which is ages. Yeah. Right. This word isn't aeon. Okay. It's aeonian. Right. And if you look at aeonian, it's not aeon. It, it means one of three things. It means without beginning or end, or it means without beginning, or it means without end. Now, in this particular context, the only, the only sensical interpretation is without end. Okay. Thank you. Um, Annihilation. Those who are not granted eternal life will eventually cease to exist. Throughout the Old Testament, the Lord threatens the wicked with annihilation. And see, this is, uh, in terms of the afterlife, uh, you really have to look hard and press um, stringently in order to come up with any kind of coherent understanding of life eternal or life eternal. Um, so, to all who refused to comply with the covenant God had established, for example, the Lord vowed to blot out their names from under heaven, Deuteronomy 20, 20, 20 and 20. Indeed, he vowed to destroy them and the land like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, which the Lord destroyed in his fierce anger. So, too, through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord warns that rebels and sinners shall be destroyed together. Those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. You shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, 
And like a garden without water, the strong shall become like tinder, and their work like a spark. They and their work shall burn together, and no one, with no one to quench them. And that's Isaiah 1, 28, 30 to 31. And also we see similar passages in Isaiah 5, 24. And many of the Psalms talk about that uh, in terms of the extinguishing. In the New Testament, the teaching that the wicked will be continually destroyed is even stronger in the New Testament. But it depends upon how you read the New Testament. Uh, and I want to underscore that. Um, as in the Old Testament, the wicked are frequently depicted as being destroyed by fire. For example, John the Baptist proclaimed that every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. He announced that the Messiah will gather, will clear his threshing floor, will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So there again, unquenchable, that would raise the spectrum of forever, right? Um, Jesus himself describes hell as a consuming fire. Matthew 7, Matthew 13, John 15, 6. The New Testament has many other ways of describing the fate of the wicked. All directly or indirectly speak of total annihilation. The wicked are sometimes depicted as being consumed by fire. Hebrews 6, 8, and 7, Jude 7, and Isaiah 53. Now, is this the red team? Could certainly be. To get people off the track where, where the atonement of what Christ has done on the cross is compromised. And that is something that I want you all to hear that we're not suggesting that at, the, at this point. Not at all. These are other positions that Christians have and that we can, hopefully we can engage them in conversation and in argument in the good sense in terms of helping them take a look at why we believe, uh, what, we, what we believe about life eternal and um, and then finally, universalism. Everyone, all humans, eventually go to heaven. Keith DeRose, is that his name? Mm -hmm. you want to say a bit about Keith? Oh, so he's, he's a philosopher, plus professor at Yale, and he has this um, website, Universalism in the Bible. Um, and he kind of goes through and, and talks about a lot, of, a lot of these issues. And it's pretty interesting. And his top three scriptures are 1 Corinthians 15.22, Colossians 1, 19 and 20, Romans 5, 18, and then um, he takes a look at several different translations of Romans 5, 18, and then finally Romans 11, which is where in Romans 9, 10, and 11, where Paul wrestles with the faith of the Jews. I can't underscore that enough. That if, you, if you're really struggling with this, I, I commend that you Spend some time in Romans 9, 10, and 11 and allow Paul's anguish to enter your heart. And if you have anguish like Judy and I do about some of our family, uh, to allow his anguish to fill your anguish and to fuel it and to hopefully come to a point where there would be some resolution and some peace as we think about those who um, do not worship and uh, who, yeah. First uh, Corinthians fifteen twenty two. Who's got that? Uh, these are going to be a very narrow sliver of scripture. 
and you're going to find that Keith DeRose focuses on one little tiny bit. Uh, but it's in several places. So 1 Corinthians 15, did I get that right? 15, 22? Yeah. Okay. I got it. Okay, read. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So guess what Keith DeRose focuses on? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all. Yeah. Oh, what does all mean? But and in he Christ. pounds it. What? But in Christ. Yeah. I mean, I think that word shifts sometimes, mm-hmm. that word for all. Okay, uh, let's take a look at Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Yeah. Is there a condition there? Is that a conditional statement? Or is it a statement of what God has done? What? Declarative. It's a declarative, see? Um, and then and, and again, if you want to if you want to find a drum to beat on, scriptures are gonna give you the what do you call the thing you get with? Scripture will give you the drumstick to beat that drum. I mean, Scripture will simply do that. Um, Romans 5.18. Someone? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. See, and so like Keith DeRose focuses on that and he says but then what does he what does he ignore in the Pauline corpus in in Paul's writings he ignores the fact that Paul is all about faith you know that that we are saved by grace through faith and that faith is focused specifically on what Christ has done Um, so um, well I, I kind of again want to make that point that the universals can still think faith is required, and they just believe that um, God will bring everyone to faith, right? So I don't know if they have to ignore. Okay. Faith. Does that make sense? Or, yes. Yeah. Right, and that's that again um, is a stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that, that, and and what does that do then to our traditionally held views of uh, because that's not what you know, even though what we confess is not that specific part of our tradition um, in terms of, of um, focusing on, on the law and God's justice. See, that's the issue. Does God suddenly not become a God of justice? Did you forget about all that? But then we say, his, my punishment for my sin was transferred to Jesus Christ on the cross. See, that's and I have to recognize it. Yes, Marie. I think in terms of justice, sometimes you think like like in the court, you have the um, you have the phase where you determine guilty versus not guilty, right? But then you have the sentencing phase. It's completely different and can vary quite a bit as far as you know what. It's just something to think about. Yeah. Then what kind of judge not saying that you don't <laughs> deserve punishment, but yeah. what what degree of punishment? will be given out is kind of what's in question sometimes. 
Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Just a minute purgatory. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, the danger in a lot of these things is hearing things that you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And trying to be honest with yourself mm-hmm. and saying, is this something that's really true in the Bible? Or am I hearing something that I want to hear because I have a loved one who doesn't believe? As it says in later days, you know, Timothy, that people will hear, they'll want to hear what they want to hear, you know, and i got to believe we're in those days, you know, so there's you know, always a temptation is to say, you know, is this, is this something that I want to believe, or is it really true? And it's hard because this is, of course, you want everyone to say, so right. it's hard to, yeah, right. Okay. Sally, and then we're going to close. Yes. Um, C.S. Lewis is the Great Divorce. Yes. I think this is just as, it's been a while since I've read it, but a very imaginative picture of all of this. And it's he doesn't know either, but he's painted us a picture. It's pretty good. Okay. Okay, John, I'm going to tack on what she said. He does give us an option that you guys have not listed, mm-hmm. and I think you should consider resisting that because it's not universalism. His position, if you understand, is no one goes to hell who does not want to go there, which is different than any of the people here. The gates are locked from the inside. They're locked from the inside because I've, actually one of the fictional characters says, I'd rather go to hell because he doesn't want to admit that he was an monster. And he doesn't want to admit that. And he'd rather go to hell than admit I was a criminal. Okay, uh, thank you all very, very much. It sounds like we had a pretty lively discussion here. Um, Next week, does God know the future? And, and can we be sure if he does? Good stuff. And then, uh, Claire, you know, and if, if this is not a good time for you to take a look at that, let's pray. Dear Jesus, uh, you came into this world broken by sin. And your presence is still among us in a world that is still broken by sin. You come into our lives that are broken by sin. And we suffer the consequences on a daily basis. But because of your love and because of your redemption, because of the atonement, uh, we live with hope that not only in the future, but that the best will that the best is yet to come. But we also pray that today your love and your forgiveness will enable us to be the kind of people that you have created us to be. And most importantly, that you give us the opportunity to share that hope with those who do not share that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.